The OAM Network is a Memphis-based podcast network connecting communities inside Memphis to the rest of the world for a nominal fee. By offering our services for less, we are able to give individuals a platform to share their ideas, experiences, and thoughts. With the community in mind, we are gladly accepting a partnership with Church Health and moving our small operation into a big space, the newly renovated Crosstown Concourse in Memphis, Tennessee. We are holding a silent auction of Memphis-based businesses at Memphis Made Brewery in order to raise funds for the new equipment in the new studio. To be frank, our mics, cables, and soundboard have seen better days. Our vision is to be able to incorporate more podcasts into our network and build up the community surrounding it. We will also be doing live short versions of a few of our podcasts for your entertainment. This will include the permanent record with special guest Woody C. Thomas. It's a Just City podcast. You Look Like, a comedy show recently picked up by Craig Brewer, The Game Show, a show about games and other ridiculous banter, and our friend Eric C. will be showing off his mad skills during Drink and Draw, which is not a podcast because drinking and drawing doesn't translate to audio well, but is fun nonetheless. We will also be launching our new Power to the Podcast t-shirts that night. So come by, drop a donation, check out the great local items up for auction, and drink a beer with your favorite podcast hosts. We do realize that not all of our listeners can make it out to this event. After all, there's 240,000 of you. However, if you wish to donate, you may do so via PayPal at oammemphis at gmail.com. If you would like to donate a gift to the silent auction, please email Carla at theoamnetwork.com. This event is being held Thursday, June 22nd from 7 to 10 p.m. at Memphis Made Brewing, 768 South Cooper Street. If you are interested in buying a Power to the Podcast t-shirt but are not located in Memphis, have no fear. Starting June 22nd, the t-shirts will also be available online at theoamnetwork.com. We hope to see you there. Power to the podcast. Welcome to the Bike Nerds Podcast. This is episode 66. For over 25 years, Saris has been designing and manufacturing bicycle parking and infrastructure products in Madison, Wisconsin, to help cities, neighborhoods, businesses, and schools become a more bike-friendly communities. Saris has collaborated with architects, city planners, transportation engineers to ensure their products are some of the most durable innovative and intuitive infrastructure products around. And right now, the team from Saris Parking and Bike Fixation are at Velo City in the Netherlands. Stay tuned in an upcoming episode to find out how you can hear more about their trip. In the meantime, stay up to date with them at, by visiting sarisparking.com slash bike nerds. Thanks, Saris, as always. How come you and I didn't get to go to Velo City yeah. in the Netherlands? Literally read my mind. They but didn't. I'm so thankful that our wonderful sponsors there. 
Nope, but I can't believe that the conference organizers didn't invite us. Yeah, we weren't uh, on the top of the don't list. They, don't they know who we are? Don't they know who the bike nerds are? <laughs> I, don't they know who the bike nerds are? I don't think, no, actually, they don't, actually. No, actually, because we didn't get an invite. So, checking in on Summer of Fun. What, how's it going? Ooh, Summer of Fun. So, very interesting. Um, Ethan and I have been engaged this weekend in like a lot of unpacking and moving boxes, but it's been, I don't, I don't want to say that sound dull. It's been a lot of fun. We've been unpacking all of the, like the star Wars toys that have been nice. in boxes since we moved last year. Oh gosh. Do you have a star Wars room? Well, we have like an unfinished basement, which I'm sitting in right now and I'm surrounded by an amazing grouping of star Wars toys and Legos and books and stories and, I'm just feeling inspired. And I think after we get done here, I'm going to turn this lightsaber on and pretend like I'm killing some Sith. That was literally the nerdiest thing you've ever said. Not, not totally, but I would, but yeah. So Ethan and I had like a really good time this weekend, like un, unpacking boxes and like rediscovering things that we had. Forgotten yeah, no, about. that sounds great. Um, then he and I and Adeline, Carrie was hosting a baby shower yesterday for a coworker. And so the three of us, we actually went to this place um, a couple miles from here. It's called the Wow Museum, the World of Wonder. Uh, and it's like a children's play museum. And they have like a pirate ship inside and blocks and pianos and bubbles and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, a dress-up area, a dance area. Wow. So, so you can basically just kind of let your kids like, you know, run wild for a couple hours. Um and just make sure they don't, you know, hurt themselves or each other or somebody else. But yeah, that was that was a, a really good time. And today, Ethan and I have just been building Legos and hanging out, and you know, it's been it's been a good weekend. Um, Carrie's Carrie's has to work all weekend, so we're, we're sort of our fun is being a little is a little like homegrown fun, not not so much like go do something fun. But that's still fun. I mean, yeah, it is what you make it. I'm having fun. Did Ethan rediscover any toys that he potentially never has never seen? Well, I think on the Star Wars, I think he's seen them, whether or not he remembers. Allowed to touch them? No, no, totally not. He asked. He did ask me. He's like, "Daddy, why are all these still in the box?" (laughs) Yeah, I'm. Yeah, that's a hard concept even for me as an adult to understand. Well, I was like, you know, Daddy, Daddy leaves some of his in the box, and he has some that are not in the box, and. You know, maybe he has doubles of some of them in the box, just in case. Um, and maybe there's things that you should never tell Carrie about that is down in the basement as well. Maybe so. Maybe so. Uh, is Ethan now an accomplice? Ethan has always been an accomplice. I think, I think that's safe to say. Um, if he knows what's good for him, he's a good accomplice. What about you? How's your summer of fun going? My summer of fun is fantastic. Yeah. It finally, like, officially feels like Memphis summer this weekend. Nice. So you went to a pool? I went to a pool. I sweated on my bike a lot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, drank a lot of Prosecco. But summer friends, good. Um, you know, bike share announcement happened. I saw that. Still getting lots of exciting press, and yep. we're moving forward on that. I mean, it's going to happen. So that's been really fun from a work front. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you what what did you do fun this week um, in Memphis? In Memphis, I went to a margarita festival yesterday. Whoa, margarita festival! Where is that? Yeah. At? 
It was at Overton Park in the Greens Ward. Nice. (laughs) I'm not a big margarita person, though, so it was fun, though. (laughs) Although, you just sort of set that up as, like, your summer of fun event for the week. No, this is my summer of fun, and I actually, I can't remember what I share between weeks, but I biked on the gravel in Arkansas. Oh, how was that? It was really, it was fun, Kyle. Did you go over the bridge? I went over the Big River Crossing. And then there's like a gravel area that does like a seven mile loop that will eventually be paved in the floodplains. Got it. But I had never really done gravel before. Uh And so it was a interesting and kind of scary and exciting experience. And then like a huge tractor and pickup truck came. So we turned around and went back. (laughs) Um, And that was kind of thrilling, you know, to have a large trailer, like as big as a dinosaur on your tail. Yeah. And were you were you going like pretty fast or were you just sort of like taking it pretty just easy? Just taking it easy. I was nervous, um, a little nervous uh-huh. about losing control. That's Isn't that part of the fun of riding on gravel though? I think I can totally see myself like letting loose and like balling a little bit. I just need to get my sea legs. I feel like like six months from now, you're going to be telling me about the, about the ra- the bike race that you've now joined. Um, I feel like you, you, you're dipping your toes in and pretty soon you're going to be buying some spandex online. No, not yet. I think you're going to get there. So six months from now, I want to know what gravel race you just completed. That's Um, fair. Yeah. I think you're I'm not dipping in yet. I don't have spandex yet. Yet. I want to invent like wedges that clip in potentially. No, nope, nope. I think you're going full on agrocyclist. No, maybe. <laughs> I never say it. never. I can see it. Um, Who knows? I have a story that I don't know if anyone else will find funny, but I'm going to share it anyway. Okay. Because I have this platform that I can do that. So today I went to the pool and was making a salad. And I don't know why I find this funny, but I'm going to tell it and we can edit it out if it's not. Okay. And so I like, you know, it was like, hadn't had enough coffee and I was at my parents' house and no one was there yet. And I like opened up a can of black beans and was like standing in the middle of the kitchen. And I had like grabbed a strainer to like strain and like rinse the black beans. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, in the middle of the kitchen, not near a sink or a trash can, just poured the black beans right in the strainer. And you know what happens then? It just all goes all over the floor. So that's how I started my day. I was like, what is happening? And no one's even here. And it like got like everywhere. And I was just like, Sarah stuttered. Oh, gosh. But it's funny, right? It's a good story. It, it is, it's a good story. Yeah. It's never happened to me. And I've done like a lot of dumb. Like I'm a kind of a dut, a ditz. A klutz? No. So that was good. My no. brother's gotten into cycling. Really? Yeah. What's he doing? He's got a cyclocross bike that I'm secretly hoping it's a fad that I, I well, it's probably cheaper for me, but um, <laughs> I'm secretly because I want it. Um, he got a cyclocross bike and has been biking with my partner, Corey, and some of his friends. Corey's been generous enough to let Daniel tag along with him. Um, <laughs> But he, but my brother, do you feel like that? Do you feel like that's some sort of obligation that Corey is? uh, (laughs) No, I think he he wants to be encouraged, encouraging to new bike riders in Memphis. But this is how, like, the difference in, like, siblings is. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
I have been biking for a long time and like recently just got like a road bike. You know, I'm very much while I may be dipping my toe into like other things, I still like I don't have the kit. I like don't do clip-ins or clipless, whatever they're called. Right. My brother has already he has like a kit and he's got clipless pedals and he has more gear than yeah. I've ever Googled. He's got stuff I've never even heard of. Yeah, he went he he got sold some stuff. He got sold like he just went I don't even think he I don't think anyone was like, This is what you need. I think Handel just like got on cycling Reddit, which I didn't even know was a thing. And like every time I see him, he's got like a new thing for this new hobby and I just find it really interesting. You know, the opportunity there is that you can feed him information about that I want, cycle. yeah. No, well, no, I'm, I'm thinking maybe more insidious than that. But you can feed him information about cycling trends that maybe aren't actually cycling trends, <laughs> right? That's and, really, and have him show up, you know, to a big group ride with like a big, like big bird horn yeah. on the front of his bicycle <laughs> or something, or you know, the latest uh, Peppa Pig kit. You and yeah. so you, you don't even know about Peppa Pig. Peppa, I don't even know. Peppa Pig is a great British television show for kids with a little pig named Peppa. Um, but I think, I think you know, I think you could really dive into that a bit. I'm going to. I think that's a great idea. So speaking of getting into cycling more, yep. why don't you give us the 411 on today's guests? Yeah, absolutely. We have Arelli Morales and Rachel Horn, who are both spokeswomen for Sustainable Cycles. And Sustainable Cycles works to promote personal and global health by providing bicycle and menstruation education. They do this through bike tours across the country and recently in Mexico, where they talk not only about women's health and menstruation health, but you know, how to reduce dependence on combustion and combustion engines, disposable products and petroleum based um, industries and products and how making these decisions kind of can help improve communities and global health. And it was, they're just fantastic. And I love the mission and I love talking about menstruation more and the stigma that is attached to that and shaking that off. So I really enjoyed the conversation and they reached out to us after listening to a podcast with Tamika because they are also Los Angelinos as well. And so I really enjoyed it. What are your thoughts? Yeah, it was a great conversation. And, you know, there's a lot of groups that sort of, you know, use cycling as they sort of travel across the country and, you know, work in this this same kind of facet. But what I what I found really interesting and I didn't really hit me till we actually had the conversation with them is that there's actually I think a lot more overlap between sort of thinking about women's health and menstruation health uh, and bicycling and sustainability than, than I had originally sort of given it credence to on, on the surface of it, I, I think. And so, you know, I, I actually really felt like I walked away having a, a much broader and greater understanding of their mission and how the two actually fit together. Um, and I think I mentioned that in the podcast that it, it, my, my initial reaction was like, I don't understand like how these two sort of things fit, but they, they really sort of painted the picture really well. Um, and they're doing some amazing work, you know, across the country. And Rachel's on her way right now to a national menstruation research conference being held in Atlanta. And so she's, you know, she left Los Angeles like three months ago, went to Guadalajara, Mexico City, uh, is now biking from Austin, Texas to Atlanta. And so she's put on like, you know, 
3000 miles on the bike this year and is doing workshops along the way. Super, super impressive, you know, just from a, just from a feat of sort of physical, uh, and mental, um, toughness to be able to sort of do that many miles on your bicycle, much of it alone. You know, you know, I mentioned when I was running (laughs) how boring it gets, like doing it by yourself, um, where you run out of things to think about. Um, I can't imagine, what that's like, you know, sort of think about riding from San Diego down to Guadalajara, you know, almost entirely by yourself. Um, she must be really good at talking to herself and having yeah, great conversations. Absolutely. Um, when I kind of read more as prep before the interview, I found kind of all of these connections around, you know, women doing bike touring and talking about menstruation and women's health as all being really empowering. But I don't think I really thought about actually how empowering kind of all of these decisions working together are to kind of be a female and potentially have a stigma against being like a woman cyclist and then stigmas around menstruation and having periods and bleeding and like all of these words that I think a lot of people kind of skirt around or aren't comfortable with. And so I was just like, I'm still kind of in awe that it's, I'm just so thankful that there's folks thinking about this kind of stuff and doing it in innovative ways. So should we do this? Let's do it. So Aureli, so you reached out to us um, after listening to Tamika with LACBC and are also a native Angelino. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, actually, uh, so is Rachel. Uh, we both are from the West side, from the West side of Los Angeles. Yeah. Fantastic. Natives. Yeah, that's what it is. And so you are both spokeswomen for sustainable cycles? That is correct. So what is sustainable cycles? So sustainable cycles is a project that links uh, bicycles and menstrual cycles uh, in an effort to increase women's health and global health. So what we do is we go on bike tour and we encourage people with uteruses to go on bike tour um, to this menstruation conference that happens every two years. And it's called the Society for Menstrual Cycle Research Conference. And along the way, we host events in the towns that we roll through. uh, And we try to get bicycle advocates in the room and women's health advocates in the room. And we talk about what the menstrual cycle is. And we talk about bicycle safety and how to ride safely in the street. Um, And then we exhibit reusable menstrual products like menstrual cups, sea sponges, and cloth pads. Sustainable Cycles was recently adopted by a local nonprofit in Los Angeles called Sustainable Streets. Uh, And Sustainable Streets works to increase active transportation uh, for more livable communities in the L.A. area. So how did Sustainable Cycles get started? It started in 2011 uh, by Tony Craig and Sarah Connor. They were just two friends who liked bike touring and they really liked their menstrual cups and they wanted to combine their passions. And so they rode from Seattle to LA and they got a bunch of product donations from several menstrual cup companies. Um, And they just kind of did this impromptu Johnny Appleseed kind of thing. and showed up to a town and said, hey, we've got something to talk about. Let's gather a circle. And they did that all the way down to L.A. Um, I found them two years later, and 
I wanted to take their project cross country because it was just a bucket list item of mine to ride my bike across the country. And they said yes. And so that I did that in, in 2013. And now um, we're on our fourth fourth large tour, I guess. Uh, and we've ridden over 13,000 miles since starting collectively. And now it's a little more uh, structured. You know, we, we make events with people before we get there and, and then we just make sure to arrive at that time so we can connect with movements that are already happening. And Rachel, the, the conference this year is in Atlanta, is that correct? It's correct, yes. And, and so you're almost there, right? Yeah, we've only got three more days of riding. Nice. And so this is like perfect timing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Podcast is like cannot be. <laughs> it's perfect. And, and did I also read that you that you also this year you made a trip to Mexico first, and then and then you're on the way to Atlanta. Yeah, you know, I'm kind of using multimodal transportation to get to this conference this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I've already done Los Angeles to Atlanta. And I made a bunch of friends in Mexico when I went to Bike Bike a few years ago. That's the uh, bike co-op convergence that happens every year. And so I thought, well, I should ride from L.A. to Mexico City, take a flight to Austin, and then ride Austin to Atlanta, just because there wasn't enough time to do L.A. to Mexico City to Atlanta. (laughs) And Arely, have you gone on one of these rides, or are you sort of the the vocal spokesperson back in LA uh, cheering everybody on and helping to organize things. So now my position is cheering, but originally um, when Rachel and I met up, uh, she told me about this and I was all sold and ready to go to Mexico with her. But then I got an amazing opportunity to, um, to launch a bicycle application in Los Angeles. And so I just couldn't pass that up and I had to stay back, stay behind. So I'm doing my part, making sure that everybody still remembers to donate for sustainable cycles, to, um, ride their bike and to, um, really think about their, um, about disposable products that we consume. But you so, did ride with us LA to San Diego part of the way. So Yeah. Well, we did the beginning. <laughs> I did the beginning with her. That yeah. counts. I would count that. I count that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wish I could have gone further, really. I had planned on it. And I'm really jealous. But uh, there's always a, in two years, perhaps, uh, Rachel, yeah. you can do it again. Yep. <laughs> Or before that, I really I want to I want to know more about the application that you're that you're launching this year um, a little bit later. But at first, I wanted to sort of talk about sustainable cycles and the programming that happens along the way. And, and I'm I'm curious to know um, maybe to to both of you um, or to Rachel, you know, maybe about your experiences this time. But are there a lot of overlaps between? So you mentioned having women's health advocates and bicycling advocates in the same room is is that is that audience is there a lot of overlap in that or do you find that they're two two distinct audiences uh i find well it it depends uh definitely in whatever community we're riding through but for example in birmingham yesterday it was distinct like the woman who came out from the women's health organization um she doesn't ride a bike and then the people who came out from Alabike, which is the Alabama Bicycle Coalition, um, they don't really know too much about women's health, I guess. So, yeah, I would say they're distinct groups. 
and how do you how do you find that the events um sort of how how are the messages received between the two different groups because it feels like it feels like each each of those kind of advocates have sort of a, a certain uh lens that they're sort of coming to this event for and and you know how does the event sort of work to sort of you know cross pollinate some of those advocates um in into the future well there there's a definite uh like overall girl power feel <laughs> to the event when, when we're there. Um, and people are open to, to each other's passions, I guess, you know, we'll get, we'll get some people who, when we go around and introduce ourselves, they're like, I'm really sorry, but I don't ride a bike. Like <laughs> they feel kind of bad that they don't, which I don't want anyone to feel bad because they don't ride a bike. But, um, it's it's really open. It's awesome. People are happy to support each other, especially in this broad theme of women's health and especially with what's going on now politically and culturally. Um, so I think any type of like informing women, empowering women, um, well, we like to say people with uteruses or people with bleed who bleed, right? Because not... Not everybody identifies as a woman uh, who comes to our to our workshops, um, but yeah, anything that that is helping that demographic um, is it's really positive. It's received very positively. I'm curious, is but, but from both of y'all's perspectives, you know, how did you get to to this work? Was it through bicycles, public health, or women's health specifically, or you know, reducing disposable products? Um, you know, how did you both end up kind of being advocates for sustainable cycles? Want to go first, Aureli? Yeah, well, for me, it was definitely from the love of bicycles and sustainability in general, because uh, it's not just. A bicycle is more than a, a, a means to mobility. It's also a, a, a reduction of waste. It's being conscious of the energy that we we consume and the energy that it takes for us to get to places. Uh, definitely reducing our carbon footprint or reducing my carbon footprint is one of the reasons that I ride a bicycle. And so that all ties in with sustainability and being conscious of our disposable culture and trying to combat that with um, education. Uh, that those are that's those are the reasons that I um, became involved, and I was fortunate enough to to meet Rachel, who had already started this plan. So um, that's that's my end to it, Rachel. And then for me, um, I would say. I kind of fell into it on the bicycle side as well. Um, Like I said, I had this bucket list item of riding my bicycle across the United States. And when I graduated from college, I thought, well, this is the time to do it, right? Um, But how am I going to pay for it? (laughs) And so I found Sustainable Cycles online. um, And I had been a user of a menstrual cup for the past three years uh, previous to that and totally loved it. Like it was a game changer for me. Um, I also deeply care about where things come from and where things are going to in terms of consumption, human consumption. And so uh, the project really rang with me. 
and uh yeah it was it was a good it was a good cause to raise money for i could kind of work while achieving a dream and uh since then i have actually I've actually been introduced more to to the women's health aspect of it, and I have people who are very savvy in like fertility awareness and birth control and the different stages of menstruation and uh, and the different stages of the cycle. And I'm I'm learning a lot on the women's health side, but yeah, I would say I definitely fell into it on the bicycle side. What's the state? So I had never necessarily before y'all reached out kind of heard the term menstrual health. So what does menstrual health look like in the U.S.? Are we in a good place? Is there a lot to learn or a lot to kind of support um, people with uteruses and people who bleed? Like what is what is menstrual health health look like? I would say first and foremost, uh, a lot of the women or a lot of people who, who use these products aren't aware of what they're actually putting inside of them, uh, what type of chemicals, what type, where they come from. Uh, uh, there's a lot of questions with that, uh, and a lot of it is toxic. And so uh, just the general lack of knowledge is is a big issue to menstrual, menstrual health, uh, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree. I would say that we have a far way to go uh, in terms of improving menstrual health in the United States. Another of the organizations that we work closely with is called Hashtag Happy Period, and they help to give or donate products to people experiencing homelessness uh, to help deal with their flows. And that's a huge issue. (laughs) It's a huge equity issue. Um, just with the price of disposables and like Aureli said, what are in disposables? Um, it kind of takes, a, a big crisis to change products in the U S I found, for example, uh, in the seventies, there was a big tampon scare, um, with the rely tampon and, uh, many young women died from toxic shock syndrome. And because of that incident now, boxes of tampons have to be labeled uh, with absorbency and uh, with little pamphlets on what toxic shock is. But it it took consumers dying to make that happen. And I think I'm I'm curious, like what, you know, what rates, what uh, illnesses or infections or diseases or conditions are happening now that in 30 years, you know, we'll realize, oh, it's because tampons have dioxins in them or tampons have rayon in them that, you know, now then then they'll have to put regulations on it. So and yeah. Is there a reason why the current, you know, products that are available are so popular? Is, is it cost or or is there a cultural um, is there a cultural facet that sort of plays into why a better, more sustainable, healthier option, which is, which is available today, isn't quite widely used? I think it's, it's a pretty complicated issue, right? So when people, uh, when young, young bleeders are in elementary school, say in the fourth grade, like they get a packet, um, and maybe it has like a, a pad in it, a razor and a 
stick of deodorant in it. And then uh, they watch a video that's produced by a large disposable pad company that teaches them about menstruation. And so they kind of hook young consumers really early uh, in brand loyalty. And it's still definitely a taboo subject. Like when we have our, our events, we do like circles, um, go arounds and people get to share a menstrual memory. And most of the people who come to our workshops, obviously they have some interest in menstruation if they're going to a menstruation event, but even they will say like, well, this is the first time that I've ever spoken publicly about, you know, my menstruation. Um, and I think that reusable products have a pretty tactile, uh, facet to them, you know, like you pull out a menstrual cup, you're going to get some menstrual blood on your hands or you squeeze out a menstrual sponge. You're definitely going to get some menstrual blood on your hands. Um, and a lot of people are still pretty grossed out by that idea. And I'm not exactly sure. I mean, the, the factors are huge, you know, it probably has religious factors to it. Um, there's also a feeling of cleanliness, which is all, another reason they also, with those packets, they, they introduce the disposable wipes and uh, just another product of consumption that, um, again, brings brand loyalty. Uh, I wanted to add that one. Yeah, totally. And maybe they'll add a little doll in there or something for them. Mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> but there's, yeah, there's definitely a cultural idea of menstruation that's very strong. Uh, still today in the U.S. You started going down answering sort of a question that I wanted to ask, but how do these conversations differ in communities that might have different cultural or societal identities or communities of color or does income, are, do you, are you having different kinds of conversations um, in different communities depending on who's in attendance and the cultural associations that they have with menstruation? Yeah, I definitely found that on this trip. Um, It's actually, it's really interesting. When I had events in Mexico, originally I only had two events planned, one in Guadalajara and one in Mexico City. Um, But kind of as I was traveling there, I got prompted by other people, um, one community in La Paz and another community in Morelia. And the, the attendance of those events, of actually all four of them, um, often exceeds the attendance that we find in the U.S. And I think that comes from a want to discuss this topic there. Um, it's really hard to find a box of tampons in Mexico. Yes, it is. It's definitely hard to find Diva cups or any other type of Luna cup as well. I think it's a, a really, you can speak more on this so, um, about like insertables. Mm-hmm. Okay. So insertables or anything having to do with, um, the reproductive organs in a female, uh, in, in Mexican culture and in Latin American culture brings a lot of shame. Uh, and so you're encouraged from a really long time, uh, from an early age, not to insert anything. So, um, even from, a tampon is seen as a uh, violation of your purity. And I've, 
I've heard this from many women uh, in the older generations uh, that a, a tampon is basically losing your virginity. And this, these are the beliefs that a lot of people still hold. And yeah, just to touch a little bit more on that in terms of different types of incomes, like we have, again, this year, like we, like we do every year, um, we have product donations by several uh, menstrual cup companies and these items are $40 on the shelf. Um, if they're even on the shelf, right? Like they're on the shelf in LA at Whole Foods or at REI, but I don't know if they're necessarily on the shelf. Well, and I, I know they're definitely not on the shelf in Piggly Wiggly here in Birmingham. Um, and so the, the initial cost of these items like initially turns people off to them. Um, and I also spoke to, uh, a woman from a lower income community in Ohio who told me about this idea of cleanliness and like new and status. And so like anything reusable or anything that might stain or not look new, it's not really wanted. So, yeah, I would say that, that they're definitely distinct depending on, uh, which type of communities we go through. Do you also find that kind of having this conversation that probably a lot of women maybe just have with a, with one friend or have never necessarily talked about, um, about menstruation and, you know, what they're using, you know, during their cycle. Do you find that because this is maybe a more intimate conversation that you're able to have larger conversations because it's, it seems like it's kind of like an immediate icebreaker to go around the room and, and share a period or menstruation story. Yeah, that's definitely one of the great things about sustainable cycles is that um, we are, we're very interdisciplinary. We take two themes that seem that they're not related at all and kind of bring it together. So when we're at gas stations, you know, with our bikes loaded up, getting water in a rural town and people ask us what we're doing and where we're going. It's like, we're, we're able to say, you know, Oh, well we're riding our bikes to a menstruation conference. And just saying that out loud, like I, I don't really understand why that's, it's such a big deal, but we get, uh, we get some feedback or some, some spaces are like, Oh, that's nice. And like quickly end the conversation. Um, it's, it's really interesting to see, like, today, in 2017, in the United States of America, like, that menstruating, that women's reproductive health is still so taboo. And I love that we can talk about it freely and kind of jokingly or uh, lightheartedly with adding bicycles to it. And it's important to link the fact that sustainable cycles and everybody who's on this tour is self-supported. So um, if, if had they not had Rachel ridden across the United States and across Mexico with a box or three of tampons, like where was she going to throw that away? So it's um, I would like to bring back um, highlighting that they're riding their bikes 
self-supported with only one product and it really it's it's giving you freedom from like either looking for tampons and or looking for a place to dispose of them so it's another it's another important reason uh why it gives you a little bit of not freedom but it gives you a little bit of empowerment more empowerment knowing exactly um how to I mean, self-supported in general. Sorry, I'm kind of rambling now. I forgot my point. Rambling is great. Pod, <laughs> yeah, we love yeah. ramblers on the podcast. I, it's perfect. <laughs> I kind of take a little bit of it or finish your thought. Just that, yeah, you know, you. We, we totally understand that a menstrual cup or a cloth pad or a sea sponge or like a crocheted tampon isn't for everybody. And that's totally cool. Like, we don't want to be eco-Nazis or feminazis. I don't know if I can say that in a podcast. Um, but we want to talk about it more. We're like, we're all about informed choice. We want people to know what is available to them so that they can make a choice that's not pre-made for them. Um, so we, we also like to, to make sure people don't feel pressured or shamed that they like Tampax. It's totally fine. But we, we recognize that not very many women today know where or what their cervix is or know what's in a tampon or a pad. And that's what we're trying to uh, educate about. But also the cost of the tampons and the disposables uh, as opposed to the cost of, uh, of a Luna cup or a reusable, as well as a uh, not being able to find the products that you necessarily need and always kind of gathering your day around uh, being prepared for this upcoming uh, monthly visitor. Um, so it's, there's different reasons why, why um, a reusable is kind of empowering towards women or the way that's at least the way I take it. You know, as I sit here and listen to you all talk about this, and I just sort of think in my mind about some of my past experiences of working in community bike shops um, across the country, and I know Rachel that you're that you work sometimes volunteer with Biker Wave out in L.A. And you mentioned Bike Bike a second ago, but I, I just I, I I sort of hear all of these parallels, right? And sort of thinking about the time that I spent in community bike shops and working with people and helping them to try to identify the value in using recycled bicycle parks parts to, you know, create a sustainable form of transportation. And I, and I hear talking about, you know, sort of consumer culture and the ability to throw things away and, you know, how, if you were able to, you know, work on your own bicycle and had a resource to a place where you could get used bicycle parts to fix things when they broke, it, it feels, it feels to me like there's actually a lot more overlap between sort of the two, which I think on the surface, two very differing sort of, you know, facets of sustainable cycles. There's actually a lot more overlap if you sort of take a step back and really sort of think about it from this much broader sustainability, much broader, you know, uh, alignment around a culture of, you know, recognizing the worth of things before and not just disposing them. Do you, do you find that as well? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. It's 
what we have a little saying and we say like, so sustainable cycles is about um, energy independence and reproductive autonomy. And they're kind of the same thing. Um, at the, at the final goal of this project, I would say we want to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. We want to reduce our dependence on disposable products. Um, we want to stop constantly paying money at the gas pump or constantly paying money at the pharmacy for products that we need to be mobile and to menstruate. And uh, I'll, I'll often get questions, um, you know, like, well, what does it have to do with each other? What does biking and menstruation have to do with each other? And my answer is that menstruation has to do with everything. Like as a person who menstruates, I can't draw a line between my biking life and my menstrual life, like, or my life in general from how I menstruate. So, um, I, I definitely see your point, Kyle, and I agree with you. Or traveling in general, like, if you're anywhere traveling around the world, you have to be self-reliant because the common creature comforts that we have here in the United States aren't available to us. So that's another, um, another draw to it as well. I'm also interested in your conversations, you know, cause you know, your target audience is, you know, people who bleed and cyclists and public health interests, you know, what do the conversations look like with individuals that maybe never connected mobility to a bike or didn't connect, you know, how they could, you know, improve the environment and be part of a global change by making, you know, one trip a day on a bike or thinking differently about their transportation options? How is that part of kind of the conversation with your programming and events? That's a great question. Uh, I could say we could probably do a better job of uh, broadening the net that we cast because the people that that come to our events kind of are already interested in that. Um, so yeah, I would say that's, that's room for us to improve um, in terms of like talking to people who don't think about biking or don't think about menstruation. It's, we get, we get a lot of people who are like, you know, we'll do a final comment we'll go around Um and maybe someone there was like dragged by a friend or something or a sister. And they'll just say like, yeah, like I learned a lot, you know, and it's, we kind of talk about broad themes. So, um, I think it takes a while to sink in and yeah, like I said, I'd, I'd say room to improve for us on, on that. But I think, uh, both Rachel and I, uh, do touch those topics with different uh, advocacy groups and organizations we're part of. So I think specifically Sustainable Cycles has such a focus um, that often we don't really touch on any of those issues. I don't know, Sarah, maybe I didn't understand your question correctly. Can you maybe rephrase it? I may not, it may not have been a well-phrased question. No, I think that was helpful. I think I'm also struggling with trying to articulate my thought. I mean, I think it's empowering that your group of women, you know, touring the country, and that's not necessarily what people in Birmingham, Alabama, or even Memphis, Tennessee, you know, where I live and work, 
is necessarily used to seeing. And then you're also having these conversations around, you know, menstruation and all these larger kind of issues. And I was, I think I'm trying to make a connection between kind of back to the point about consumerism and maybe spending dollars in a different way. You can have, you know, a level of financial planning or literacy kind of thinking about how to reduce, you know, your disposable menstruation products and maybe also reduce your transportation costs as well. And I just am unable to really articulate a question that makes sense. But what y'all commented on was great. So now I'm the one rambling. (laughs) (laughs) I'm curious to know from the bicycling perspective, you know, uh, women are largely underrepresented when you look at sort of bicycling participation in the U.S. I'm wondering just, you know, what are the reactions that you get while you're traversing the country by bicycle? You know, uh, it, are you traveling in groups, I, I assume, groups groups of women traveling together? Um, great question. This tour was my first tour ever going by myself. Um I actually rode mm-hmm. from L.A. to Guadalajara by myself um, via Baja. And I got a lot of surprise from people um, who asked me <laughs> if I was riding by myself when I said yes. And then uh, they said I was very brave. And when I got to Guadalajara, um a few ladies from Mexico city had heard about the ride. And this was actually really incredible. They decided to join me for the last week from Guadalajara to Mexico city, just kind of on a whim. And it turned out to be really, really great. So we definitely were a gang from Guadalajara to Mexico city. And then when I flew to Austin, um, I was met by two ladies. So we were three And then a fourth woman joined us in Louisiana, a fifth woman joined us in Jackson, and a sixth woman is uh, starting out with us on Monday from Birmingham. And that was pre-planned to kind of snowball along the route. You know, not everybody can take three months off of work. I'm very fortunate to be able to take a leave of absence from my job. Uh, And I definitely recognize what a privilege it is to bike tour in general and who can participate in this project. Um, But for that reason, we kind of broke up uh, our ride into legs so people could join, you know, for a month, for two weeks, for one week or for three days. Uh, And that's kind of what people did. So in terms of reactions, um, we get cat calls for sure. Um, we get, I don't know, like some, some nice honks on the road, um, some waves. And when we're in a, when we're in a larger group, uh, there's definitely not that scared. Like, are you, is it safe? Like, are you okay? Like when I was by myself, I definitely got a lot of, uh, like warnings and uh, in a group, it's not so much warnings. It's just more like y'all be safe now. You know, we're riding through the South. So that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. That, that was a very familiar refrain. Sarah, Sarah and I are very familiar yeah. with the South. <laughs> you, I think you've nailed the accent as well. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I've been here for a little bit. <laughs> When you when you roll into a town and you have one of your events and you have sort of um, 
you have sort of the bicycling advocates who are attending, right? Because they, 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 they hear about you. They think you're sort of a group of women bicycling across the country. They want to come to the event and support you. Do you, do you, do you ever feel like, like, are you, are you inspiring them to, to greater bicycling achievement or greater bicycling access beyond sort of the work around their, their health? That's a great question. Um, and I'm glad that you're asking that today because yesterday um one of the the people who came to our workshops is the leader of black girls do bike in birmingham and i I was really excited that she could be a part of our event and after the workshop she said just exactly that like man, I've been thinking about touring, but I don't know if I could do it. And she was asking very specific questions like, you know, how, how, what do you do about the sun? Like, how do you take care of your skin while you're camping for so long? Um, what kind of tools do you bring with you? So yeah, I definitely think that, uh, that it's something we're kind of normalizing and I'm happy to see more scholarships uh, and opportunities for female people to do bicycle travel things. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with the Lel Wilcox Globe of Adventure scholarship um, that was recently uh, given last year or this year uh, to one female person to ride the Baja divide. Um, So yeah, I think it's just, we're, we're, we're normalizing it. Like it's okay to be a female bodied person and to go on a bicycle adventure. It's normal. Well, there's a lot of female cycling groups that we're a part of here in LA uh, that have definitely inspired a kind of a connectivity. Uh, And the way Rachel and I met was through a organized ride called Clitoral Mass that happens every year. And uh, it's ran by the ovarian cycles. So uh, definitely there's a lot of infrastructure here empowering women. I have a question kind of shifting back. I was on mute and then no one can hear my question, but me and my tiny dogs that bark a lot. Um, (laughs) Kind of back to this kind of, you know, the stigma around menstruation or even the stigma around, you know, a group or a single woman, you know, biking across the city, you know, at these events, like, are there, you know, people who are identifying as men showing up the events that are wanting to support women, kind of how does kind of men or the kind of, are, are they, is there a room for them to be allies or support in decreasing stigma? Are they participating at events? Like what are the dudes doing? Well, one of the things that I can say is because cycling culture is so male dominated, um, at least the groups that I'm a part of, like uh, HBC, which is either Hot Babes in Charge or Homegirls Building Community. I prefer Homegirls Building Community, but it's a personal choice. (laughs) Uh, What we do is we empower women uh, to ride in a, a kind of like a sisterhood. And we have this whole mentality of no rider left behind, which really supports women who are interested in riding bikes, but are maybe scared of riding in the streets or riding at night. And so uh, I feel that men, men can be allies and they can support us all they want. And they often wait for us at our location, but we, we want to make sure that women know that we're women who are organizing women who are leading and women who are helping each other out. So 
that's that's the just that's a general take on a female only bicycle uh, groups in general. For me, uh, at our events, they are open to all genders and all identities, and I absolutely love it when male-bodied people come to a sustainable cycles workshop. Um, the only exception I would say is that in Guadalajara, it was female only because it was a part of their female only series that mm-hmm. they have going on. But um, it's really incredible to hear some of the stories that male bodied people have about menstruation. So when they share their strongest menstrual memory, um, I, I learn a lot. Uh, for example, in Mexico City, one male bodied person shared that when he was a little boy, he saw you know, bloody napkins in the trash can in the bathroom at home. And he asked his mom about it and she almost short of beat him, uh, yelling at him not to ever ask her that question ever again. And it was traumatic for him. It scared him. Um, and that to me clearly made me realize like why menstruation is taboo, why men don't want to talk about it. Um, or at least, you know, this, particular man and uh yeah so i i think you know when we go around the circle and we say share menstrual memory um some some male body people will say like well i don't menstruate so i don't have one and pass you know pass the talking stick along but um, a lot of them do recognize that they actually do have a menstrual memory they have a sister or a partner or a mother or an aunt or somebody a classmate you know who stained their pants when they were in middle school like they do have a menstrual memory and it's really really awesome to have them think about that um and share it with us Aurelia, if i could transition here as we're sort of talking about getting more people identifying as women out riding bicycles, you are launching a new app. Is it, is it, is it Bico? Bico? Yeah, it's Bico. Yes. I was actually helping launch it and we did a soft launch and, um, actually Rachel has, uh, used the app from LA to Mexico city and she's, she's definitely racked to a lot of points there. I have 3,333 Bicos right now. <laughs> So what Bico is, it's an application that started in Bogota, Colombia, uh, like all great things, Ciclovio, Ciclovia, <laughs> um, especially, and uh, dedicated bicycle lanes. Um, and what it is, it it tracks your distance that you're traveling. So it, in this point, it's kilometers because it's uh, started in Colombia, as I mentioned. And so we, every kilometer you ride, we track the grams of CO2 you're saving from being emitted into the environment, uh, the calories that you are burning per kilometer. Um, and so what it does is each kilometer is one point, one beacle. These beacles, you can either uh, bank them like Rachel has now over 3,000 or you can spend um, and you can spend them on e-commerce sites or in local breweries, cafes, uh, really Really, just it's unlimited the possibilities that you can spend um, spend them on, and um, it's a very successful app in Colombia and in Mexico City, uh, doing really good stuff in Vancouver and Toronto as well. And currently, we're working on the launch of uh, Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco, Portland, and Seattle. 
So it's a very aggressive uh, aggressive plan, but uh, it's motivating people to start commuting or to just leave their car a little bit, leave their car once in a while and ride their bike to the grocery store, ride their bike to whatever connection that they need need to make. Can you use the Bicos to buy a menstrual cup or other reusables? That would be great to do. Yeah, I mean, that would be something that we would have to partner with. Uh, Arely, we got to work on that. <laughs> we should work on that. I didn't have not thought about that. I'm just I'm trying to bring it all back around here. <laughs> <laughs> I have not thought about that, but you can use them to purchase awesome items like uh, panniers and other touring um Twin devices, uh, tune-ups. Uh, you can get free tune-ups in some locations, free patch kits, free inner tubes, things like that that help encourage people to continue the ride. Well, Rachel, I, I bet you are going to be on like a spending spree here soon then. Uh, I'm curious to know, just sort of to, to wrap this up, ladies, if, if people are interested in supporting sustainable cycles, what is the best way for them to get involved? I would assume that if people want to ride like if they want if they want to join this journey um, that there's a way for them to do that but what about people that don't have the ability how can they support you we have uh, sustainable cycles has a website its own little project website so www.sustainablecycles.org um, and the best way for people to support us is to donate money to us because we live on ten dollars a day for food during our travels and we don't uh we don't spend any money on uh hotels or anything we kind of camp next to fire stations and behind churches and stuff um but we also are trying to get our eight riders to this menstruation conference which is kind of a hefty price um like hundreds of dollars per person to get to this conference so if Anyone listening can donate. We would love that. Um, sustainablecycles.org. And also just, you know, just talking about the project, sharing uh, sharing with their friends and talking about menstruation more. That's a great way to support us. Anyone working in bicycle advocacy or uh, women's health, just continue on working, working on what you're doing because sometimes uh, – we find ourselves in shady situations on the road as cyclists and anything, any type of safe infrastructure that cities or rural counties can do to, to help uh, cyclists share the road is also really helpful to sustainable cycles and to sustainable streets. Yes, uh, definitely more education, uh, more protected, dedicated bicycleways. And I feel like a lot of the uh, the cities are moving in the right directions now. Well, thanks, y'all. I have learned so much and I can guarantee you I will talk about menstruation more. <laughs> yes, yeah, share sure. your menstruation story. Yeah, absolutely. No, this was fantastic. I was so um, excited that you guys reached out to us. And then once I did more research on your work, I've been really looking forward to having this conversation because I think it's just a really beautiful and empowering connection of, you know, fantastic things that we need to reduce and also increase doing. So thanks, y'all. And Thank Rachel, you so have much. a great final tour. I hope you enjoy your last final days. 
Thank you so much for having us. It's really yeah. been amazing to talk to you. Thank you, Bike Nerds. The Bike Nerds podcast is a joint production of the Bike Nerds, Sarah, and Kyle, and the OAM Network based in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, visit theoamnetwork.com slash thebikenerds. Want to nerd out more? Find us on the web at thebikenerdspodcast.com, on Twitter at thebikenerds, and on Facebook, The Bike Nerds Podcast. Drop us a note or recommend another bike nerd to have on the show by sending us an email at thebikenerdspodcast at gmail.com.